You're listening to audio from Ascend Church. For more information about Ascend or to access more gospel-centered tools to grow as a disciple of Christ, visit ascendkc.org. I invite you to turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 3, Revelation 3, and I'm going to go ahead and read the passage, and then I'm going to invite you to be able to lay aside maybe some baggage of previous study, maybe some baggage of previous preaching, uh, to be able to see the Laodiceans in a new light. Revelation 3 beginning in verse 14. If you don't have a Bible, look in the seats in front of you. You can find Revelation 3 on page 1030 in those Bibles. Revelation 3, beginning in verse 14, and to the church, angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, and the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot, So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, thanks, Ben, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich and I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love I reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent behold I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and eat with him and he with me the one who conquers I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Maybe you walked in this morning and grabbed your notes and expected to see a sermon that focused on the Advent. If you're like me, the day after Christmas is, or the day after Thanksgiving is Christmas time. You can see I've already got Christmas on my mind. But it's Christmas time, it is the Advent season, but we've got one last message in Revelation before we kick off our study of Isaiah 9-4 and what those words and terms and names actually mean and allow us to be able to celebrate Christ's first coming and anticipate his second. Maybe last week you did not anticipate to come in as we were at the beginning of the Thanksgiving week and see a message focusing on Judas. But I hope in that message and through Lee's excellent explanation, you were both encouraged as well as challenged to be able to see how people so close to the gospel, so close to Jesus, so close to the resources that are offered can actually be so far from salvation. If you didn't have an opportunity to listen to that, please go out to our website, listen to it, watch it. I know you will be both encouraged and challenged, but just like that message, this has a different twist than what you might expect. The letter to the Laodiceans is actually a letter of health. It's a letter to understand how to get to a place of spiritual health. Of these seven letters, it actually has become my favorite letter of all of them. It is the one that has most convicted me. As I thought of the Laodiceans, when I 
thought about the seven letters that we would be studying, I thought, oh, this is going to be the worst, and it's right before Christmas. But it actually, I think, is the best. When we think about health, we as Americans are very familiar with the concept. In fact, last year, some statistics tell us we spent over $550 billion on pharmaceuticals. In fact, eclipsing that was the over $1 trillion we spent in our hospital interactions. Americans know the frailty of human health. They understand the value of human health. But imagine the two concepts and topics that are most important. Diagnosis, identifying what the problem is, and solution, identifying what the solution is if we only were able to self-diagnose and self-solve. I mean, imagine if you would, this time of the year, be limited to yourself as the expert to diagnose those aches and pains that we all feel the older we get this time of the year. Imagine if your assessment of your health was based on how you felt. We would miss some serious diagnoses and we would certainly over-exaggerate others. And then think of the topic of solution. What is the solution to an accurate diagnosis? If it was left up to us, we would often mask pain that we should be aware of, or we wouldn't address pain that we should address. But we often do the same thing spiritually. We often self-diagnose, and we often self-solve. That was the problem for the church in Laodicea. If you'll look at your notes, you can see that one of the most subtle viruses in the Christian life actually makes our Lord vomit. And yet the solution is found in his gospel. Three steps for us to take to accurately diagnose and then to solve the identifying of this virus if it is in our lives. Number one, use the proper mirror. Use the proper mirror. Verse 14 identifies the destination of this part of the letter of the church in Laodicea. Laodicea was found in the Lycus River River Valley. It was one of three main cities in that valley. The other two were Hierapolis and Colossae, and we'll explain why that was important here in a few moments. Laodicea was the location of an important juncture in the Roman highway system of Asia Minor. Because of that, as well as an important product that they exported, which was a glossy black garment, a glossy black clothing made from black goats herded in the area, as well as some powder that minerals would be reduced to and placed on your eyes to help your eyesight, or at least the ancients believed so. Those three factors caused Laodicea to be extremely wealthy. In fact, an earthquake that leveled the city in AD 60 was actually something that the city refused the help of the emperor and actually rebuilt themselves. In fact, not only did they rebuild it themselves, archaeology and ruins tell us that they spared no expense, like Dr. Hammond. You can look that up later. That's a movie reference. Jurassic Park, anyone? No. <laughs> Laodicea was extremely wealthy. But Laodicea actually had a very vibrant church. In fact, somebody came up to me after the service, first service, and said, well, you know, MacArthur says something different than you said. And I said, well, (laughs) you know, he may be right, but let me show you how I got there. Because some people think that the Laodicean church was filled with unregenerate people and that there was no one saved. I disagree with that. 
When you look at Colossians, you actually see Laodicea was a vibrant church. Laodicea, Hierapolis, and Colossae were actually churches that likely were planted, planted by Paul's cohort, Epaphras. Colossians addresses the church in Laodicea with terms and concepts that describe a healthy, vibrant church. So this was the background of Laodicea, but we do acknowledge by the letter, and we'll get there in a moment, that there was a problem in Laodicea. But before we can get to the problem, we actually have to understand what is the standard that we're measuring their problem against? What is the proper mirror to evaluate and identify diagnosis? And Jesus reveals that in verse 14. As has been the case, each letter begins with Jesus' self-description, and intentionally so. He usually draws from Old Testament context and explains that he is this by this description, and it is uniquely intentional for that church and that church's situation. The same is true here, and there's a recurring emphasis that is found in his self-description. Look at verse 14. The words of the amen, that means truly. The faithful, that means that over time something is proven true. Then the word true And then the word witness, which means to be deprived of life resulting from bearing witness to your belief. The emphasis in this fourfold self-description is true, truly, true, true, true. But the description is actually the word, look at what it says in the text, witness. And I believe what Jesus was doing is drawing the reader's attention back to the book of Isaiah. Would you turn back there? Isaiah 43. If you're reading one of those Bibles that you grabbed in the seat backs, it's page 630. Isaiah chapter 43. We don't have time to walk through in great detail the context of Isaiah, but I can explain it like this Isaiah was written to the people of God, ethnic Israel. God had chosen a people out of all of the nations after the Tower of Babel to have his favor placed upon them. He gave them a unique covenant relationship. He he gave them clear instruction how to function and thrive as a people of God. He gave them resources to help them, prophets, priests, and kings. He gave them all of that, but their, their task was to be witnesses to the world around them, to be drawn to a relationship with God so that God's presence could be spread throughout the corners of the world and fulfill where Adam and Eve had failed. That was what Israel was supposed to be as witnesses. Look at verse 10 of Isaiah 43. It says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. That was what Israel, ethnic Israel, was supposed to be. That was their task. That was their privilege. That's why they were resourced and equipped the way that they were. And yet what Isaiah explains is that Israel failed miserably. And their failure was actually that they looked like the world. That when you compared Israel with the pagan nations around them, there really was no difference. That's going to be important when we get back to the Revelation context. Isaiah 43, verse 10 goes on to say, and my servant whom I've chosen. And that was an important topic in Isaiah. Isaiah had explained that there was a servant that God would raise up that would ultimately bring everything into reconciliation. The very thing that was promised in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3.15, that after Adam and Eve sinned, God promised there would be an offspring of Eve 
that would bring everything back into reconciliation, would bruise the serpent's head. That was the promise, and there had been candidates paraded before us in the Old Testament. There was Noah, there was uh, Israel, there was Solomon, King David's son, and every one of them failed. And so Isaiah is drawing the reader's attention, ethnic Israel, back to the fact that God still was going to raise up a servant, but it wasn't going to be them. They had failed miserably. They looked like the world. There would be a servant that would be raised up. In a few chapters, we'll see in Isaiah 52, the servant would suffer. He would suffer and give his life as a payment for the sins of those who would believe. And then one day he would bring every tribe, tongue, and nation together to worship God and that God would dwell with them and and his people with him. And, And that is the promise that Isaiah is writing about. And so embedded right here in Isaiah is this concept of witness that the original audience likely would have been drawn to. So now when you get back to Revelation 3 and it says he is the amen, the faithful and true witness, you start to see that Jesus, as compared to any other resource or candidate in this world or that history has ever offered, is the rightful, true Israel. And it's that mirror that we are to look into. I I enjoy working out and We have a place that we work out that is not real fancy, but it's got some weights and try to go down there a few times a week in the morning. And I was lifting the other day with a young man and and he said to me, man, how old are you? And I thought, where is this going? I said, well, 48. He goes, man, I want to look just like you when I'm old. (laughs) So, you know, pros and cons with that, right? But on the, on the pro side, I started feeling pretty good. Well, I guess for 48, I look pretty good. And so that kind of stuck in my mind for a while until we turned on Disney Plus and started watching a show called Limitless. It's Chris Hemsworth. If you're not familiar with him, he's the actor that plays Thor in the Marvel movies. And a couple of the episodes where he's doing extreme things to try to produce health in his life, he takes his shirt off. And I looked at Chris Hemsworth... And I looked in the mirror myself, and all I saw back was skinny, soft Mr. Potato Head. (laughs) But here's the question. Is that who I should be measuring myself against? Is that the proper mirror? But we do the same in the spiritual life, don't we? We look at others around us, and we begin to, to make comparisons, Begin to see what others think about ourselves. Well, others think that I'm a healthy Christian, so I must be. But beloved, what verse 14 is telling us is that the proper mirror is none other than Christ himself. And when you begin to look at Christ as the measure of your spiritual health, you should begin to recognize that we are nothing but failures on our own. Spiritually speaking, just skinny, soft potato heads. But I love the next clause because that's the hope. See, we, we, we see that the diagnosis must only be when we compare ourselves against Christ himself, not others in our small group, not others that we're serving with, not elders, not our wives, not our, our husbands. It is Christ himself, and it should get us to a place where we are overwhelmed by our failure. But then the next clause is so important. It says the beginning of God's creation I've always thought that to reference the universe. 
But I don't think that's what it is. When you look at the New Testament and you see how these terms are used, let me give you a few passages. Revelation 1.5, Colossians 1.15, and 2 Corinthians 5.17. When you begin to see how these terms and these phrases are used in the New Testament, I, I think what Jesus is drawing the reader's attention to is the beginning of God's gospel new creation. And so it's expected that we look at ourselves in the, the mirror of Jesus and recognize we are depraved sinners. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We, we can't even seek God on our own. And that should get us to a place of humility, a, a place of desperation, a place of dependence on what? On the new creation that is offered through Jesus Christ, which is none other than the gospel. And so when we get to this place and when we realize this, we are ready to make the proper diagnosis because we are looking in the proper mirror. Which brings us to the second step, which is to understand the potential mistake. Understand the potential mistake. Verse 15, Jesus says, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, if you're familiar with this passage or you've heard messages preached or you're looking in your study Bibles, you might read what I read and what I understood and I think now is a misunderstanding. Let's back up and understand the historical context. The historical context is accurate from archaeology discoveries that Colossae and Hierapolis were known for their water supplies. Colossae was known for a really refreshing, cold, freshwater spring that was just outside its city walls. Hierapolis was known for their hot water springs that were known in the ancient world to have medicinal healing purposes. And so what people say, because Laodicea truly did not have a fresh water source near, had to pipe water, fresh water down from a city called Densley, is that by the time the water arrived in Laodicea, it was lukewarm, but there's no historical evidence for that. In addition to that, others have said, well, what it means by lukewarm is that this was their passion for Christ. And that Jesus was saying, I wish that you were either hot on fire for me or cold frozen for me. But why would Jesus say that? It's better to understand the ancient historical understanding of water. Cold water was refreshing, revitalizing, health-giving. Hot water would expose injury, expose wounds, and it would heal and restore and I think what Jesus is saying here is the problem with you Laodiceans is that the gospel is not impacting others. The gospel isn't reviving and encouraging and refreshing, and it's also not exposing and healing and restoring. And so it's important for the Laodiceans to see why is that the case. And the answer is actually, I think, found right here in the text, verse 17. It was that they got to the, the mistake of being self-sufficient. That is the epicenter of the important letter to the Laodiceans. Is that the Laodiceans had gotten to a place, despite their vibrant, healthy start, they had gotten to a place of being self-sufficient. In fact, look what it says right there in verse 17. You say, I need nothing. 
See, friends, this is the potential mistake, and it is a subtle virus. Here's a couple quotes that I would ask the team to put up on the screen. True discipleship and true disciples will impact with the gospel because it is impacting them since they are desperately dependent on the gospel. If I, in my life, am living in such a way that I know I am desperately depending on the gospel, I can't get up in the morning, I can't do what I'm called to do as a husband, as a father, as a, as a pastor, whatever your context is, if you're not in a place where you know that waking up and that reality continues you throughout the day, that you are desperately dependent on God, then guess what? The gospel is not going to impact others for encouragement, cold, or for healing, hot because it's not doing that in your own life which brings me to another quote if you're not desperate for the gospel you're not depending on the gospel it leads to improper diagnosis and this is true with what jesus said the laodiceans were saying they were saying verse 17 i am rich i have prospered i need nothing Jesus gives the proper diagnosis. He says, you are not realizing that you are wretched, you are pitiable, you are poor, you are blind, and you are naked. Now, I think what's important with this, and this is where, as I read the study Bible notes, I think I understand where he, how he got there, but I think you have to understand in the flow of these letters, Jesus was using extremes to warn the church. Here's what I mean by that. Remember Sardis a couple weeks ago. He said, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are what? What does it say? You're dead, but they weren't dead. He said, you are, you are about to die. You're on a trajectory of being dead. And so that's why he says you are dead, because that should have awakened them. And true believers, when they are warned with an extreme punishment or an extreme judgment, will respond to that. That's the point of Hebrews 6 in that difficult passage. And so I think if you're following how Jesus is writing these things to the churches, you understand he's not saying they are poor and they are pitiable and they are wretched and they are naked. He's actually saying you're, you're heading toward there. And we'll see in his response of what they were supposed to do why I believe that's the case. It should wake you up if you are truly a believer. Many of you know we were on sabbatical this last summer. I'm so grateful to our elders and to you as a church for freeing up our family to do that. And part of our process of sabbatical was we had a sabbatical counselor who walked us through a, a life health assessment. And there were several different categories. There was self-care, there was leadership and management, there was uh, self-awareness and cultural awareness. But the second to lowest category that I scored on was spiritual health. I thought, what? And I explained to my sabbatical coach, I said, listen, <laughs> you know, this thing doesn't know what it's talking about because I'm reading multiple chapters a day. I'm reading theological books. I pray every day. But he started pressing in and asking questions. And, and here's what I learned in that assessment. My spiritual disciplines and my walk with Christ was like so much of the rest of my life. It was task-driven. And see, the busyness of my life would dictate my time with Christ. In fact, it creeps in, doesn't it? 
Just a, a couple weeks ago, I had a date on my calendar, which that's one of the things that we've done, Sally and I, as a result of our sabbatical, is we've put things on the calendar that are supposed to develop rhythms to make sure we're healthy in all of these categories. And one of them is that at once a month, I have a date on the calendar that I'm supposed to set aside everything else and focus on my spiritual health. And I had that on the calendar, but then things started creeping in. Good things, important things. But I didn't protect my focusing on Christ. In fact, I didn't even read my Bible until the end of that day before I went to bed. And so friends, I'm not preaching this from a position of perfection. I'm not even preaching this from a position of much progress, but I'm hoping that some of you can relate to me and that those of you who can and say, Pastor, I don't know anything about that, that at least you all will just pray for me. But what I'm trying to highlight here is that I think the very virus that Laodicea was struggling with is a virus that might be present in our lives, might be present in our church, and this is a warning for us. And that is when the busyness of our lives makes spiritual disciplines be just part of the tasks of our daily routine or actually pushed out like other tasks in our lives, we are in a place where potentially like Laodicea, we could be lukewarm and Jesus says, I will spit you out of my mouth. It makes him vomit. In fact, this concept of spitting you out, when you study historical archaeology, you realize that the ancient Romans would actually use lukewarm water to cause them to vomit after they ate. And it would allow them to be able to eat more and gorge themselves. And so the, the, the imagery here is historically rich, but I think it's practically relevant And that is we have two opportunities. We have two sources of water. We have the Babylon system, the world system, the world system that tells us that everything we do should fulfill the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the system that says we just have to be busy, 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 and the tyranny of the urgent. We have that world system, and then we have the cold and hot water of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I got to tell you, let me just stand in the middle here for a moment and recognize that the, the saints of Scripture were busy. If we think the solution is just to stop being busy, that, that's not what's modeled to us in Scripture. I mean, look at Jesus in the Gospels. He was busy constantly. He was so busy that sometimes it says he wasn't even able to eat. Remember that when we studied Mark? Look at the Apostle Paul. I'm, I'm reading through uh, so many of Paul's epistles in my devotions. And you look at him, and he was busy. Like he's in one place. I mean, he's in jail, in prison, potentially facing his death, and he's just churning out the letters. And he says, so-and-so greets you, and so-and-so greets you, and send so-and-so to bring me my cloak. And he, I mean, that guy was busy. So the solution isn't to not be busy. The solution is to drink the right water. Friends, unfortunately, what happens to me is what might happen to some of you, and that is the water of Jesus just becomes the task. 
Like even this morning, I was reading 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, and if you're familiar with that section, that's, that's a difficult section. It's talking about tongues in plural and singular. It's talking about sign gifts and prophecy, and you're starting to read through that, and it, it seems like in chapter 14 that there's this like prayer language, and man, I'm reading all of that, and I'm wrestling with it. I'm trying to make notes, and I'm sitting there thinking, God, don't you know? I've got to preach today. But then this was convicting me. Put first things first. Drink from the cold and hot water, and more often than not, everything else will be taken care of in its proper time. So we've got to look into the proper mirror. We have to be very careful and be aware of the serious potential mistake, which brings us to number three, utilize the perfect medicine. Utilize the perfect medicine. Verse 18, I counsel you. Oh, I love that. The phrase means to tell someone what they should plan to do. And I don't know about you, but part, part of the evaluation of the person counseling you is the person who's counseling you. And you remember who it is that's actually counseling Laodicea, and by extension us. It's the one of verse 14. It's the one of chapter 1. I mean, this is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the one who spoke the world into existence. This is the one who died on the cross to pay a sinner's death, though he himself knew no sin. This is the one who authors the enemies of God, salvation and brotherhood. This is the one. So when he advises us, shouldn't we want to respond? He's the one. In verse 18, who says, I advise you, I counsel you to take the perfect medicine, which is what? Verse 18, buy from me. I love that. Again, when we think about two world systems, the, the world system of Babylon and the world that basically says it's for you, it, it, that, that is a world system that says the gold and the, the garments of Laodicea. But Jesus says, no, 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 I want you to buy from me. I want you to, to buy my definitions. I want you to buy my standards. I want my worldview to be your lenses. And so that's why he uses what he does when he says, buy from me, verse 18, gold. You see that? But it's not just any gold. This is the good stuff. This is gold refined by fire. The Laodiceans would have been able to tell the difference between cheap gold and good gold. So this would have resonated with Laodicea. I counsel you to buy from me gold, the good stuff, but what, how does it become good? It's refined by fire. What a great imagery that is for Christians. The way that you get the gold that God offers you is through fire and tribulation. Isn't that interesting? Especially relative to this book. God brings his people through tribulations. He doesn't remove them from them. And in the process, he refines and purifies them. But it's not just gold. Verse 18, he says, uh, also white garments, which again, there's a historical context there. I mentioned in the introduction, the Laodicea was famous for their glossy black garments produced by the black fur of the goats. And he says, no, 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 I don't want you to buy those garments. I want you to buy holy garments, a purified life. 
A life that is lived for Christ and to his glory and not yourself, to the world system of God, his kingdom, not the world system of Babylon. And then he goes on to say, salve for your eyes. Again, the powder that would be produced by grinding down the minerals. But this is not just a temporary fix for your physical eyes. This is an ongoing spiritual clarity. Jesus is saying, I want you to buy this stuff from me. Why? Because these are the resources that are necessary for a healthy, thriving Christian life. And friends, it begins by the new creation in God. Through Christ Jesus, it continues right here in the local church. This is not a religious group of people. This is not a religious event that we are doing right now. These are the means of grace coming together for corporate worship, for corporate study, coming together for small group, to have iron sharpening iron, to encourage one another, to grow up into Christ, using our skills and our gifts during one service to build up the body of Christ and then enjoying worship in a second service. These are the means of grace to baptize. If you give your life to Christ and you've never publicly displayed to your church family, you are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That is an important step. The, the Lord's Supper that we do rhythmically as a church that causes us to pause and to self-assess and to look for sin and to be able to evaluate relationships, these are means of grace. And friends, God has given those to us that if we are functioning within them and we are looking to Jesus, the author and completer of our faith, then we will have true riches. We will not have spiritual nakedness. We will not have spiritual blindness. So maybe you would say, well, I recognize number one. I know the proper mirror is Christ. Maybe you would even say, I, I also can see how there is a potential mistake of self-sufficiency, but I, I don't know what to do. Well, what you do is actually unpacked, beginning in verse 19, those whom I love. By the way, I think this is why there are believers in Laodicea at the time. He says, those whom I love, what does it say in the text? I discipline. I reprove. I correct. That's what he's doing to Laodicea. Therefore, logical statement, if he is doing that to somebody, he loves them. And he calls them to be zealous and repent. And even the next phrase in verse 20, behold, that's what behold means. Attention. I'm standing at the door. And I'm knocking. The word knock means to signal the presence of someone to those inside. And I know this has been used a lot of times for evangelism, that Jesus is standing at the door of an unbeliever and he's knocking and if you open it, you can receive salvation. I don't think that's the context. Again, if he loves the person he's disciplining, he's expecting their response to authenticate their conversion. And so Jesus is actually coming back to his own house, the church. He is the master of the house. I mean, when we see this imagery given throughout the New Testament, we understand that the person at the door on the inside is the servant, right? Is the slave. 
He's the doorkeeper of the master. And what Jesus is saying is he's knocking on the door saying, master's home, and your response will reveal who you are. If you're a thief and you hear the master's home, what do you do? You hightail it out of there. If you are truly the doorkeeper and you are the servant of the master, you open the door and you receive him. Jesus expresses his love. He's saying, listen, if you do repent, if you do return to a desperate dependence on me, then look, I will come in and I will eat with him. That is an expression of intimacy of relationship. Verse 21, the one who conquers. Remember, this is only something a believer can do. I will show by sharing my throne with you that we are brothers, that we are partners, that we are on the same team. Just as when I conquered, Jesus says. Remember that snapshot event that was foretold in John 16, 33. And I sat down with my father on his throne to demonstrate partnership, to demonstrate relationship. Verse 22, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Friends, this is an opportunity for us because as I've shared, these are seven historical churches, but because of the number seven in the book of Revelation, it's more than that. These instructions are not just to the historical churches, they are to every church in the church age. And they are opportunities for us to evaluate if we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And today, we have the opportunity to evaluate our self-sufficiency. The solution, friends, is to drink from the living water of Jesus Christ. The solution is to abide in Christ. And to abide in Christ is a daily, moment-by-moment, desperate dependence on the gospel. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We can't just stay in a place of learning. God never intends us to learn with the end game of knowledge. The knowledge is always expected to be applied. And so here's the question for you to ask yourself. What is your sufficiency? And you may have a factual, truthful answer, but what does the pattern of your life demonstrate? Friend, maybe you've never placed your sufficiency on Christ's completed work. Maybe you've never embraced what Jesus offers through his death, resurrection, and place of victory. Maybe you've never acknowledged your sin, asked God to forgive you, and submitted your life to King Jesus, you can do that right now. He offers it to you, the amen, the faithful and true witness offers you the new creation. You can call out to him right now, and if you do that and you say, okay, well, where, what do I do next? There's people to the ends of the stage that would love to point you in the right direction. The next step is to get to know Jesus on a daily basis through his word, through prayer, through the means of grace of the local church. And that begins your journey. And then you join the rest of us that apart from Christ are skinny, soft Mr. Potato Heads. 
We are desperately dependent on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe as we've been studying this, maybe the Holy Spirit has exposed something in your life, some pattern in your life that demonstrates a self-sufficiency. So here's what I want you to do as we pray and then as this song is sung and we join them in, in singing, would you write down on your notes in the learning to living section some activity or pattern that you can put off that is leading to self-sufficiency. Maybe you're giving God your leftovers with your spiritual disciplines and just spending time with him if there's any time left. Maybe it's through tithes and offerings, same thing. You're just at a place where whatever's left over, I'll give to God. Maybe it's that you're just viewing church as a Sunday morning event and your argument is, well, I just don't have time for anything else, but you're not drinking from the water that God gives you. And instead, you're on a trajectory of being lukewarm. What is it that for the month of December you can put off that's influencing self-sufficiency? And then if we put off something, the gospel says we need to put on something. So what activity or pattern can you put on for the month of December that will move you toward abiding in Christ? I don't know that we ever get to a place where we can just say we've arrived. I'm living proof of that. But at least can we commit to the month of December that we will put off self-sufficiency activities and put on abiding in Christ activities and see what God does with that. As we end this study of these churches in Revelation, this is our opportunity to send church to demonstrate whether we have ears to hear and whether we're actually listening to what the Spirit says to the churches.